Good morning. I'm Lauren Long, Marketing Director at Site 1001, and it's time for another episode of Spaces and Places, a podcast by Site 1001. If this is the first time you're tuning in, each episode we feature expert guests on topics around buildings and all the things that make them fantastic. Joining me today is, of course, Aaron Simon, Site 1001's Director of Digital Design. Hello, Aaron. Hi, Lauren. How's it going? Going good. You know, I'm actually in San Diego with you today, so it's nice to be in the same time zone. <laughs> you are. Yes, it is. So today's guest is Nicholas Warren. Nicholas is a globally recognized subject matter expert who focuses on building automation and has a passion for ecosystems thinking. He has vast experience and knowledge regarding value creation initiatives in the realm of Internet of Things and digitalization within the real estate sector. So without further ado, Nicholas. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. That sounded fantastic, actually. The introduction could almost have been written by myself. So, uh, <laughs> great job. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Wonderful. Well, then, let's keep that going. We'll, we'll start with you telling us a little bit more about yourself and how you got into building automation and IoT. Yeah, sure. Um, well, it's a long story, so I'll keep it as short as possible. I think it was five or six years ago, I invested in a Nigerian audiobook startup. So that was without even having been there. That was a tech incubator based in Lagos in Nigeria. From that, I helped the incubator for one year. And then I invested in a Nigerian audiobook startup. I mean, it went really well in the beginning. We were chosen as the 1,000 most promising startups in, uh, in the whole of Africa. We got investment. Huh. And then recession hit. Uh, oil prices went down. So it's not really dead after six years, but it's basically comatose. So, but during that period of time, we got picked up by a global accelerator in Helsinki. So I was there representing the team, and I think it was day two or something like that. And I just uh, was in line of getting beers. I, I, I talked to a gentleman and said, like, hey, can I just stay here and wait for my team for five minutes? Yeah, okay, sure. And he showed me on his phone that, okay, here I can just see how many times someone has opened a refrigerator. I can, I can turn on and off my lights, all these kind of things. And it was basically with IoT, or it was actually power line communication. So that was, I think it was four years ago, almost. And so I helped that, I started helping that company after the conference. And I was working as a management consultant at the time, and also doing heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. I was a product manager. And then after just two and a half years of helping the company, I ended up back as the acting CEO of that company one and a half year ago. So I, I, that's where I started really uh, getting into the whole IoT and especially building automation and backnet and all these kind of things. And it was at Ashray Expo uh, at that time, I think it was in Chicago, uh, one and a half year ago. So basically, it's been 150% the last one and a half year. So just digging in deep into hardware, software, cloud, IoT, digital twins, and had like 2,000 meetings during the last year just to figure out where... We were as a company, uh, if, if we had a product market fit, where we had a product market fit. And that's also how I got all of these connections and how I started the moniker of um, the Building Whisper, like making buildings up to people. So, yeah, that's basically it. Wow, interesting, interesting background. I love how the story started with a Nigerian-based audiobook company. I did not see that coming. 
I had a web agency at the time. I was running an import-export company. I did a lot of different things. And uh, just everything just led me to this. I had never even heard or thought about building automation or really IoT before, like four years ago. It was just, just one of those things that you, you see. And I'm a sort of like a strategy management uh, by education, or that's what, what my studies were in. So I just saw the potential. I was just looking at the market and saying, like, okay, this is something that's going to happen. I didn't know that it's going to take this long, to be honest, but it's definitely a market that has the future ahead of us. I definitely believe that. Yeah. Well, thank you again for joining us. You know, I kept seeing you pop up on LinkedIn on articles and posts that I was following around the topics that you just talked about. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was like, who, who is this building whisperer? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know if you know, but, uh, you know, say 1001, our motto is your building is talking. Are you listening? And so you fit right in. So where exactly did you get the nickname Building Whisperer? Actually, don't really remember. I think it was just one of those things. I was looking for a nickname because, yeah, I wanted one. And then I think it was just uh, watching uh, the Horse Whisperer on TV, TV with uh, Robert Redford. So it's just like no one really told me, wow, you're the Building Whisperer. That would, it would have been amazing, of course. But it was basically me telling the world that, hey, hey I am the Building Whisperer. I can make buildings talk. I love it. Jumping right into how buildings are able to talk. How do you think we're able to create smarter buildings, ones that can communicate better? So basically, one and a half year ago, or in the, in the early, in the beginning, well, it's not that early. I think like talking to people who's been in the business for 40 years. But when I started, it was mostly figuring out how to make existing products, well, getting it easier to, for them to talk to analytics platforms and dashboards and these kind of things. Uh, but having been in the industry now for one and a half years, I can say that that's, from a technical standpoint, it's pretty easy. But there are so many people and standards, I would say, and vendor lock-ins and all these kind of things that makes it extremely difficult and time So if you want to have a building talk to you, I would actually recommend like a IoT-first strategy and also probably not IoT, but definitely wireless. So it's possible today, just go out with sensors and measure whatever you want to measure, so whether it's uh, CO2, lighting, um, humidity, occupancy, sound, uh, noise levels, all of these kind of things, right? And just deploy them 1,000 at a time or 5,000 or 100 or whatever it is, and then have that data automatically be sent to the cloud where you have a dashboard that, well, measures everything and does the predictive stuff and all these kind of things. So that's, I think, this is the start of making the building talk to you and understand, okay, what's, what are the problems? Where can we improve stuff? And just add to the data that you either already have or that you don't have. And then comes the big question, okay, how are we going to integrate this with existing equipment? I think this is where a lot of companies, I talk to people from CBRE and DLL and other companies as well, where they mentioned that 1,000 cuts problem. Well, the death by 1,000 cuts where they see that it's pretty easy to get data to different dashboards and apps. But the integration it takes to either integrate it to other applications that already exist, or if you buy software as a service or whatever it is, or if you want to get it back to actionable insights that you want to control the building, it's extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. But I think like based on your questions, just getting the building to talk to you, I think that's super easy today. Uh, but if you want to talk back to the building, I think that's where the challenge is. Uh, not so much, again, from a technical perspective, but definitely from a 
people, integration, existing player perspective. So getting in the building to talk to you is, pretty, is really, really easy. Uh, it doesn't cost that much money. Uh, but the challenge, I think, still is to, to, to get it to uh, existing systems. And now, of course, I'm talking about commercial real estate. Residential is pretty much easier, but then the benefits, there are there, of course. But I think like the, for me, the commercial aspect is much, much more interesting because of the energy uh, efficiency perspective that you really, really want to use. Because, again, climate change, all of these things that I believe is real, and that's where we need really, really to go in fast and create smarter and better buildings. I think it's been eye-opening that you know there are places where air inside buildings is actually healthier than the air outside of buildings, and you know that's only yeah. known because of the sensors that are installed inside and outside. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the whole industry is seeing a shift from full energy efficiency towards predictive maintenance, towards uh, well-being and productivity. I mean, the JLL, the three thirty three hundred rule, uh, is pretty evident. I think that people are talking about it at least. Uh, I don't think anyone really has broken the code, maybe site 1001, uh, who knows. But I think that that's, that's where you really want to, that's where the, all, the most of the money is in the, the productivity and well-being. But also, I think, in terms of the asset value uh, by in- decreasing or increasing efficiency or decreasing uh, cost and all these kind of things, the asset value increases. So you, there's definitely a correlation between well, if you compare a dumb building, so to say, with a smart building, the smart building is definitely going to increase the premium uh, once you sell it or if you can charge a higher rent, uh, all of these kind of things. But it's not really a, a linear uh, equation yet. Uh, so I think that's when when we have done this or someone has done this, I think that's going to be the gold rush to digitizing buildings. And I think that's what everyone is waiting for or everyone is trying to achieve. So. You did mention digital twin in your introduction, and uh, that's kind of a buzzword that I've been seeing, you know, gain a little bit more traction in cloud for its uh, potential, specifically in commercial real estate. I guess we'll start with, for those in the audience that really don't know, what exactly is a, a digital twin? Well, it's a really good question. Uh, so I see, I'm not a digital twin expert, so to say, but I love the concept of it. So it's basically just a 3D copy of a physical asset. It could be a process or a system. So it could be, I think it originates basically from um, motive industry, but it could be a ship, it could be a car, it could be a city, a ketchup bottle, it could be whatever. Uh, so let's say a building or a portfolio building. It's a digital twin basically. It's just a 3D copy of a physical asset. But when I talk about digital twins or when most people talk about digital twins in, in terms of CRE, commercial real estate, it's mostly probably in construction phase. So let's say you have an architect draw up something in a 3D, uh, instead of having like the traditional sketches and stuff, they do it in a 3D CAD file. Usually what happens with that one, it goes to the trash can. Uh, But if you do it correctly from the beginning, uh, the digital twin is basically the place where you're going to store all the asset information of that building. And that's, again, like it's it's done in construction. Uh, I wouldn't say a lot, but it's I, I think it's quite a lot at least. But then when it comes to sort of like what's called maintenance phase or when it goes into, I don't have actually a good English word for it, but when it's being constructed, when the keys are handed over to the real estate owner, uh, I think like where 80% of the costs are, that's where the most of the potential of the digital twin uh, exists. Uh, But I think that's also where it's not being used. And when I talk to leading experts in in the US, uh, they say like, yeah, we know that everyone is going to have it like in 10 years. 
but we're not going to do anything with it, <laughs> <laughs> which, which doesn't really make any sense. So, so basically, yeah, it's just a 3D copy of whatever goes on. So if you look, if, you, if I have a building, say, and then if I had a digital twin, I would go into that digital twin and I would see everything that, go, that, that is going on. So from existing systems, added value from, from sensors, occupancy, all of these kind of things. And whatever costs money, I can see that as well. And I mean, we've been talking to a pretty future-thinking real estate owner in Sweden who just wants to run the stuff from the technical integration side. So basically, you can look at it from three perspectives. There's definitely more, but they're there. There's sort of like the norms. So it's the technical integration part with the real estate owner as well as the tenant. So all of them is going to have like different interfaces of the digital twin or the asset where they actually are. Mm-hmm. And just by doing this, you get a better understanding of what is happening. Uh, you you can cut a lot of costs, and you basically manage everything through the digital. Twin. So I mean, it's this pretty strong use case. What what are the reasons that you're hearing that people aren't going to use them anymore, or they don't want to use them? Well, it's pretty classic. I mean, there's no money really uh, when you actually have like existing buildings, and you usually do stuff. My latest research, so to say, based on the conversations that I've had, that you you innovate or you do stuff with maybe five or ten percent of the whole portfolio that you have, and that's like you have to have like a direct return on investment. It has to, otherwise you're not going to do anything. And again, if you go back to the three thirty three hundred rule, it's like energy efficiency. Yeah, it's like it's not that much of the total cost. So you really want to go through the predictive maintenance stuff or the productivity and well-being. But again, the digital twin concept in the maintenance phase, like the arguments are there out in the open. But I would say that it's not really been proven yet, at least not again like to be mainstream. So I think that maybe it is the cost. Uh, but then again, if I look at the cost of Let's say you have an existing building and then you go and scan the building. It's not a huge cost, really. But then you got to maintain it. And then it's, again, like the, the classic difficulty of if you have a building and then you have the changes in the building, how do you track those changes? And I think that's probably where it stops or where it gets difficult because there where today people have to be involved in this. And if you're going to have a digital twin for a lot of buildings, maybe you have maybe the real estate owner or someone has to have um, new expertise. Mm-hmm. Hiring six new guys or girls, for that matter, in managing the digital twin, no one's going to do it. So getting all of these things automated and so that the data checks in automatically or the work orders there where something's going to change, everything happens through a digital twin. I think that's sort of, it is possible to do it from a technology perspective, but it's not really done yet uh, again, and it's not really proven, and especially not with collaboration with the real estate owners seeing, okay, this was their ROI, it's a no-brainer, let's do it. Uh, unless it's in the construction phase, because then it's just pennies. Then it's like $100,000 or even less to get the digital twin. But then you come with the, with the, the classic, yeah, like, how is that going to be maintained when it's up and running? And most of the times it's not, I would argue. And then you don't see the ROI, and that's why sort of like no one is really telling all the benefits of having a digital. I, I think this is. Cool. I mean, I think that's one of the beauties of this industry that buildings are basically everywhere, and we see a lot of the same problems. I mean, I try to move uh, at a global platform, and I think there are, there are so many opportunities if you look at it from a productivity and well-being perspective, especially, and if if you can sort of like have a correlation that it's easier to do stuff with new buildings. 
I mean, where, where are buildings mostly constructed today? Probably Asia, uh, maybe China, maybe, well, China, Singapore, maybe South Korea, where they have like, where we put up one building here in Sweden, they put up maybe 100 buildings. Uh, and I think like, I'm not necessarily saying that everyone is constructing building much, much more smarter than they did it like 10 years ago. Probably not, maybe in some places, but it's definitely easier to do stuff or creating digital buildings where uh, there are new buildings. So if you look at it from that perspective, and I also always love to look at the macro perspective, you see that there's, uh, again, like going at it from a productivity, especially a productivity side, and you can increase productivity, let's say, in schools or universities. And you draw that sort of like conclusion, okay, it's being built more here. Everyone has better indoor environment in, let's say, China or Asia. And what does that do to sort of like national competitiveness? You know, I think that those are the interesting aspects as well. And I think that's where, again, the importance of not necessarily digital twins, but building automation, smarter buildings, increased well-being, productivity. It's such an important topic that should be at the highest level when you're talking about, well, basically anything, especially when it comes to national productivity or national competitiveness uh, today. That's what I believe. So how do you compare the various countries that you've been watching develop how they use buildings and how they take care of buildings and, and how the buildings therefore take care of the people. Like, how would you compare, you know, how the United States is doing it compared to where you're calling from? That's a really fantastic question because it's, it's, it's a very, very interesting answer. So if you, I'm from Sweden, uh, I live in Sweden. And if I look at it here, I think in terms of digitization in silos, I think we're a little bit ahead of the U.S., I would say. Uh, but the problem is that we're not using BACnet. And BACnet is basically the world's largest building automation protocol. And it's a device-to-device -device communication protocol. So it's just as a, lays as a, a harmonization layer over the existing stuff. Uh, and because we're not using it in Sweden at all, uh, it's, it's horrible, to be honest, because I love BACnet. We have like the platform that we're standing on to build future stuff is not as robust as in the U.S., uh, so because in the U.S., uh, BACnet is being used for most buildings. Uh, it could be BACnet MSTP or BACnet IP or BACnet Ethernet or whatever it is, but it's still uh, a harmonization layer, or it can be Lawnworks probably. Uh, but okay, so, so the answer is, in Sweden, it's difficult to really, really go fast because we get stuck in existing technology. In the U.S., I think it's possible to go really, really fast uh, as well. Uh, but they're much, much larger, like lock, vendor lock-in, switching costs from existing players. And the mindset is probably not as futuristic as it is here in Sweden. <laughs> well, <laughs> that said, it's not really futuristic in Sweden either. Uh, but again, so the basis for to go at it uh, on a large scale, so like portfolio, is much, much easier in the U.S. because of backend, because it lies there as a platform or harmonization layer. However, again, like wireless doesn't really exist in the U.S. There is a real big, uh, well, no one really wants to do it, to put it simply. Uh, everyone thinks that wired is still sort of like the, the most trusted. And uh, yeah, it's great. I mean, again, like it's not either or, it's just a combination. So I think that there, there's a huge difference in what you can do, what you want to do. And I think that the countries that have back that has an opportunity. Uh, but if you, again, like, Moving again, like one step leap forward, there are some companies that are trying to do everything without BACnet and just go at it from existing stuff and 
doing it in a whole new way. That's an interesting notion. Uh, might work, but again, uh, I'm not really sure why you would do it, to be honest. Why is Sweden not on board with BACnet? Is that a Sweden-only thing? No, I think like Norway is sort of like in between the U.S., both geographically and uh, practically, so to say, in terms of BACnet adoption. Uh, Germany is definitely heavy on BACnet because Siemens is there. Siemens are there. Um, in, in, in the whole of Europe, I'm not really sure. Uh, I think it depends a bit. Uh, why Sweden is so far behind when it comes to BACnet or harmonization? Lack of large buildings, maybe. I've asked this question a lot of times, but I, I haven't really found a great answer. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think it's just one of those things that uh, the Big Dragons tried to do this in the beginning. And then there were so many existing players that they managed to push back. So we have a lot of local like PLCs and companies that do things. They use Modbus and all of these bus technologies. But the organization, yeah, it's not really there. I, I can't really answer why. Uh, but I think it's absolutely, I think it's sad. I think it's tragic, <laughs> to be honest. I really <laughs> think so. You know, I think we're, we're just about at the end here. I mean, I, I would love to keep talking to you, but we, we could keep talking for hours. We might want to get you back on again. Yeah, I'd love to. I, can I just have a, a bit like closing, closing words, if that's okay? Sure. Yeah, because I think like just uh, I need to mention what I'm, what I'm sort of like transitioning into because that's, I think that's really interesting. It's basically, again, like, so I am all for BACnet, and I definitely think that you should utilize it because it exists and it's visible in all, mostly all buildings, especially in the US. Uh, however, there's also, again, like the notion of getting into the existing sources and creating a real-time streaming platform on top of it. I think that's exactly my new initiative that we're, that's actually for Industry 4.0, which is similar to uh, building automation. But we go in, uh, we basically have connectors that we run into existing data sources, and we just take the data out and we take it to a streaming platform where you can build applications on top of it, or you can connect it to uh, fantastic applications such as Site 1001 or other analytic tools or whatever it is that you want. So you become vendor agnostic and you move away from path dependency direct to path creation. And I think that's something that, again, we really, really need a building automation space because things are taking too long. I mean, I read articles that was 30 years ago, and it's exactly the same stuff that I'm talking about today. So there has to be something. The technology is here. Uh, it has been here for like 20 years, and it's just we need to do something. And making it easier for others to innovate with this industry is so, so important because of climate change, because of this well-being and product. So, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's an open call for everyone. Just go at it and just collaborate and do something as much as possible, as soon as possible, as fast as possible. So those are my final words for, for now. <laughs> Thanks again, Nicholas. And speaking of collaboration, how can our listeners find you? You can email me at ceo at zanio.com. So it's Z-Z-A-N-I-I-O.com, as well as find me on LinkedIn. I think that's probably easier. It's probably I mean, where you can find me on a day-to-day -day basis. So I think those two are the, the easiest ones to find me. Awesome. Thank you again for joining us. I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening. Yeah. And thank you listeners for joining Spaces and Places by Site 1001 today. 
Be sure to stay tuned for future episodes by subscribing on your favorite podcasting app. We've got a great array of guest speakers coming up covering a wide variety of topics. I, I learn something every time we talk, so I hope you are too. Subscribe and we will talk to you next time. And thank you again, Aaron and Nicholas. Thank you so much. Have a great day. 